Welcome to your most visionary life. On this weekly podcast, I sit down with visionary humans and ask them the one question that you probably want to know the answer to. How did they create, launch, and scale up the business of their dreams? My name is Kelsey Rydell, and I am the founder of Visionary Life and The Visionary Method. The intention behind all of our content is simple, and that is to plug you into the people, inspiration, and information that will help you create your own most visionary life. As you begin to listen to the episodes, you'll discover one obvious and common thread, and that's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us, but perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. This show is going to help you consciously create a life you love on your own terms. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Visionary Life Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Zoe Shamai of Tonica Kombucha. Zoe Shamai is the founder and president of Tonica, a Canadian beverage company. Zoe's entrepreneurial journey began in early childhood, witnessing her mother, a health entrepreneur, pioneer a line of hemp and chia food products. While becoming a certified yoga instructor, Zoe was introduced to kombucha tea. Moved by the immediate effect it had on her digestion, Zoe became an avid kombucha brewer and began to share her fermented beverages with the community. At a time when there was no other kombucha brands, that's totally visionary, on the market in Canada, she became the first commercial kombucha brewer in Toronto. Although Tonica started as a love hobby, the overwhelming response Zoe got from consumers grateful for the digestive aid and skin cleansing from her fermented tea made it clear this was just the beginning and tonica kombucha was born by 2011 zoe had grown tonica kombucha to be sold in over 100 retail stores across canada in 2012 zoe appeared on cbc's dragon's den with a winning pitch her appearance garnered international attention and though she declined the deal with the dragons off air the appearance opened doors to mainstream retailers in 2016 dragon's den featured zoe again in a success story follow-up episode where they profiled Tonica's production and filmed Zoe teaching a yoga class. Today, Tonica continues to produce exceptionally authentic kombucha in their 12,000 square foot facility and is one of the only Canadian brands that remains brewed in small batches. Tonica is now sold in over 2,000 stores across Canada, including Whole Foods, Shoppers, Drug Mart, Metro, and Loblaws. Zoe has been featured in several publications, including... Canadian Business Executive, The Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, Canadian Women in Food, and City Line. So more on this incredible woman in a moment. But first, I just wanted to give you some quick life and business updates. So this week, well, this weekend, actually, uh, we completed our very first Olympic distance triathlon. So my husband and I and a couple of our friends, and it really got me thinking about, number one, how much I enjoy the art of challenging myself mentally and physically to do things like this, though I may not have trained to the fullest extent or taken it as seriously as everyone else. I love proving to myself that In a lot of cases, it is mind over matter and that if I keep a baseline of general fitness, I can do anything, right? I want to feel healthy and well so that jumping into an Olympic distance try feels okay and feels manageable. And it certainly did. We had a blast. 
Um, and I think why we continue to go back and do this year after year, even though none of us are competitive swimmers or great runners, or um, for some of them, they're not doing a lot of cycling, although I am, but I love the fact that it gives us a goal to work towards and not just a goal, right? Like, of course, we know the race is coming up because it's on a certain date, but it's the motivation to get training in by a certain date. Of course, when you sign up for something too, you put money on the line, in this case, almost $100, you pay attention, right? They say when you pay, you pay attention. So with that goal in mind, with a deadline when we needed to run the triathlon by, it really did keep me accountable to squeezing in a couple extra runs per week, to getting to the pool and doing some training. Uh, when everyone else was on the dock on Canada Day weekend enjoying drinks, I would jump in the lake and start swimming laps because I knew that I had something I needed to be working towards. And I think it's just a great reminder when you have a goal, whether it's starting a side hustle or getting your Etsy shop ready or finishing the About Me page of your website, you need to put a timeline on it, a deadline on it, okay? Otherwise, it's just a wish and you need to break it down into action steps that can help you actually do something small each day in order to get there. So now that the triathlon's done, it is time for a new challenge, time to mix up my training schedule a little bit. I haven't decided exactly what that will look like. Last year, I chose boxing um, as something that I got back into after triathlon training was done. But if you have suggestions, definitely hit me up. You can send me an email at hello at kelseyridle.com or just find me on Instagram at kelseyridle. Uh, in terms of business updates, I'll keep this one quick, but I know a lot of you are following along the journey of the visionary method. And as you know, we are in summer school right now. And last week we launched module two to the students. So this is creating and writing your visionary business plan. And if you've written a business plan before, you know, it can be kind of boring. And I absolutely love showing the students how exciting a business plan can be and especially when we do it a little bit differently and we focus on doing workbooks that cut out the stuff that in 2019 we don't really need to be focusing on so much and really drilling down into some of the key parts of your plan and especially the who of who you are selling to and who like coming up with your niche, your target audience, your dream client, and feeling really, really, really confident that the product or service or offer that you've created can actually um, be sold to them and that they want it, right? And so if you are an aspiring or a startup entrepreneur, I just want to let you know I do have a freebie uh, that is all about finding who your niche is, who your target audience is, and you can find that over at kelseyridle.com slash dreamclient. So if that's for you, make sure you go download that freebie and it's my gift to you. So back to Zoe, it was so fun chatting with her. Her passion for her business and her vibrant energy is absolutely contagious, and I couldn't help but adore her 
and her presence from the moment I met her. And what made her even more amazing is that she came back to my co-working space a few weeks later and dropped off cases of kombucha for everybody. The whole office loved them and they were raving about Tonica. So I'm very, very thrilled to bring you the founder on today's episode. We chat about how the idea to start Tonica Kombucha turned into a reality. We talk about her trip to Costa Rica and the impact it had on her launching her business. Zoe shares where she learned the skills necessary to launch and scale Tonica Kombucha, how she figured things out one step at a time as a pioneer in this industry. She shares the massive growth of her company in the past decade, the art of asking for what you want, tips for being great at selling, how she grew her team, she shares her experience on Dragon's Den, and so much more. So you can find out more about Tonica at tonicakombucha.com or on Instagram at tonicakombucha. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to share a little bit about one of our show sponsors, Healthy Planet. You guys know I talk about Healthy Planet all the time because they are your one-stop shop for all of your natural health and supplement needs. And funny story, this past week, our dog, Abby, got sprayed by a skunk and it was at midnight, so we did not have the opportunity to go buy the Skunk Off formula that evening. And so I went right over to my cabinet and I grabbed my Dr. Bronner's Castile Soap. This is the soap that comes in those nice big bottles with the funky, really busy labels in all different colors. Dr. Bronner's is amazing because it has hundreds of uses for it. I make my hand soap from it. You can use it as dish soap. You can use it as shampoo, body wash. Another use for it, you can mix it in with baking soda and hydrogen peroxide and clean your dog when they've been sprayed by a skunk, okay? So with all these different uses, it is essential, in my opinion, to have a bottle of Dr. Bronner's on hand. So I've been shopping at Healthy Planet for over five years, and that's why I'm so grateful that they've come on as a show sponsor, because it is a store that has it all, and they have none of the bad stuff that you don't want in your house when it comes to beauty, food, cleaning products, all that stuff. So you can shop by department, dietary need, or even just check the sale rack if you shop online. HealthyPlanetCanada.com is where you can do that. And it's just a really efficient way to grab the stuff that you want uh, and make sure that you're not being exposed to a lot of the foods that you probably don't want to be bringing in your home anyways. So I'm really excited to bring you a discount code. You can use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save. 10% on your order of $49 or more. So that's use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save 10% on any online order that's a minimum of $49. Again, that's VISIONARY and the number 1010 at checkout. Zoe, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. Thank you. So excited to have you here and to hear all about the journey of launching Tonica <laughs> and how it all came to be. But first, what have you brought us to sip on today? Well, Kelsey, I have brought, first of all, this is in our new leader bottle, which we're launching in the next month. Amazing. I always need to buy the liters of kombucha because yeah, I yeah. go through it so fast. Okay, great. And then this is a. Um, I don't know if I can disclose the flavor live. That's okay. But it's something, it's a little bit different. It's not actually um, in line with the rest of our line. I don't know how much I can say. That's but, okay. But um, what do you think? 
Well, tell the listeners that it's, it's, it has a beautiful color and it's, uh, it tastes very refreshing, like something I would want to start my day with, almost cleansing, mm-hmm. minty? Yes. Okay. It is something that I start my day with. So it's something that I wanted to bring into the Tonica line. Mm, so exciting. I love it. I feel like I could chug this entire glass right, right? now. So. Doesn't it make you want to drink more water? It does. And I don't like drinking plain water, mm-hmm. so this might be the solution. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. So that's um, a little foreshadow for future. It's not coming out this fall, mm-hmm. but it is in the pipeline. Okay. Well, once we get through part of this interview, I'm going to ask you all about... <laughs> The, the growth of Tonica and where you're headed next. So I'm sure we can dive more into the expansion and what you've got sure. coming up. But why don't we zoom the lens back a little bit? And first, we'll start with where did this whole idea come from? So before we even get into the rapid fire, I'd love to sure. just hear from you. Like, what has your trajectory been? So maybe where did you go to school? And then what was your first job coming out of school? And okay. how did that birth into... I'm going to start a business. So however long you want to make that answer, go for it. (laughs) Okay, okay, great. Um, So I grew up in Toronto, and I went to school, went to high school um, at an art school, Claude Watson, Okay. which was up in North York. And after school, I I loved acting, but I was sort of uh, ready to broaden my horizons. So I took a year, and I, I traveled down to Costa Rica, and got really into meditation and yoga down there. When I came back, I worked for a while. My father had a coffee shop in the beaches. So I worked there and I learned all about running a small operation hands-on. My mother was actually a huge influence and still is as an entrepreneur my whole life. She was the first one to bring hemp foods into Canada. She was partnering with a, a a farmer and they got the first license to grow hemp back in the day and so I always was absorbing that whole deal of her being an entrepreneur and running her business and doing the trade shows however the hands-on of actually physically making a product kind of was more something I think that I did pick up from my dad's coffee shop. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so after, after that, I did go to SFU in BC for a year and I studied women's studies and Spanish because I'd just been in Costa Rica and I was like, well, I need to learn more Spanish because I'm gonna go live there. And during that time, I started to take yoga classes in Vancouver. And I, oh, sorry, I'll just turn that off. That's all right. (laughs) And I loved, 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 loved the yoga. It was kundalini yoga. And I became very good friends with my teacher. And she would um, tell me about the teacher, like the, the, he's not a guru, Yogi Bhajan, but he was the teacher of thousands and thousands of people across the world. And how he lived in New Mexico and that I should really go and visit him. So I decided to leave school. And I went down and I lived at that yoga ashram in New Mexico. Got super into kundalini yoga. Woke up at 4 a.m., did tons of meditation, yoga, and eventually made my way back to Toronto. However, while I was there, I'm going to condense the story a little bit because I was back and forth in that community. While I was there, I picked up kombucha 
everyone was making it there. So it was a couple years later, I was living there again. It was then 2004. And there was no alcohol or smoking of anything on this ashram. It was purely yoga, meditation, some nutmeg, which is an herb that will get people a little bit buzzed. But really? Yeah. Did not if you know grind that. nutmeg into a smoothie, you'll definitely have sort of like an opioid effect. Yeah, it's fun. Trying that. It's super fun. We would do it on New Year's at the ashram. <laughs> so everyone was making kombucha, and the smell of it to me was so intensely like yeasty that I was not attracted to it all. But my husband at the time loved it. And so I started to make it for him, and then of course I tried it, and it was like dynamite. Like the very next day, I cleared out all of my bowels. Like everything was out of my system. And from then on, I was an addict because I found, you know, even though I was a yogi and I was vegetarian, I would still get stomach aches when I had bread or cheese. And I started to drink this raw kombucha and it was like I could eat anything and feel fine. So that's sort of how I first found kombucha. And I later moved back to Toronto, brought it with me, and it coincided with the opening of Live, which was the first raw food restaurant in Toronto. I think that was in 2016. Mm -hmm. And um, so I knew the owner and I said, hey, I'm back, I need a job. I was, I was starting to teach yoga classes in Toronto and she said, okay, yeah, you can waitress here. And pretty soon she let me uh, bring the kombucha onto the menu because I said, look, this is raw. It's all over the southwestern United States. Like, this is a big thing. We should have it on the menu. So I would sell her the kombucha and she would sell it. So that's sort of how it came back to Toronto. Mm -hmm. And then as with most stories, there was a little bit of a fork in the road. What happened was... It was the holidays, Christmas holidays, and the owner said to me, you know, we're going to just start making our own kombucha, so thank you so much. And I was like, no, what am I going to do? This was like becoming a really nice extra part of my income. And then my mother, of course, always the entrepreneur, said, come with me to the next trade show. I think it was the Total Health Show. And bring your bottles and anyone who likes it, get them to sign a petition that they would buy it if they found it in a store. So I was like, oh, it's a great idea. So I went, I got like three pages of signatures and I took it to Noah's, one of the first and at that time largest health food stores in Toronto in the annex. And um, spoke with the owner, showed him the product and convinced him to give it a try. So after Noah's put it on the shelf, then I went to the Big Carrot, the other largest health food store, that one was in the East End. And I said, well, you know, Noah's has this on their shelves. And they said, oh, well, okay, yeah, we'll take it too. And I sort of just started it like that, piece by piece, mm -hmm. until I had about 100 stores. I think it was a hundred stores and I started off just brewing in my apartment making sure that everything was super sterile but at that time I didn't have money to have a real certified kitchen I just made sure everything was super clean to my standards marketed so that it would look good and as soon as I got the money got into a commercial kitchen
And at that point, a distributor came to me and said, you know, we'd like to take your product beyond the 100 stores. And that's, that's when I joined up with my first distributor. Now we have six distributors. We're still with that first one. And we're in over, it's getting close to 2,500 stores across Canada. Wow. Okay, what a journey. There's so <laughs> much to pick up on there. And I'm very, very, very inspired. So at the time when you first came back to Toronto and you were brewing it at home and you were selling it into your first or second, your third store, was there anyone else or any other brands at the time doing something similar? Did you have no. someone to look up to or were you kind of just paving your own path at this point? Yeah, 100%. There was no one brewing kombucha in Canada, not commercially, and no one that I knew. Now, my mother claims that she used to make kombucha for us when I was young, but no one that I knew. Um, and so it was just that I loved this product. Mm -hmm. And I was giving it to the yoga students and the people at the restaurant. I could see how much they loved it. So it just felt like it, it wasn't even a business plan. At that point, it was literally like, I'm making this for myself. One thing about kombucha is that it multiplies every time you brew it. So I had tons of it, and it was great to have the secondary income. So I, it really was a very natural, organic thing that I was just sharing it. I didn't think I was paving anything. I was just doing what was practical, which is people wanted it. I was figuring out how to make it in bigger and bigger batches. Mm -hmm. And so did you ever write a business plan at this point or how long did you do this organically and just think, wow, this is so fun and what a, what a nice hobby that I can make money from. And then when did it turn into, oh, I should actually make a plan for going to pitch this to retailers yeah, yeah. and put more systems behind this. Do you remember that transition? I do because I had decided to take a break from brewing and go to India where I had always wanted to go. So this was about, this would have been in 2018 and my boyfriend at the time took it over and he was just like, you know, delivering the orders. And when I came back, I said, you know, in my head, I was like, well, if there's not a lot of orders, maybe I won't do this anymore. I'll just see, you know, what the demand is for right now. And I came back and he said, oh my God, you have so many orders. Like you need to get brewing immediately. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is, this is a business. Now at that time to this day, I've never made a business plan, but I do often get into a creative space and vision my next steps. You know, every weekend, usually Sunday nights, I will review and make a list for my week. And at junctures, like quarterly junctures, let's say, but it's usually more of an intuitive thing when I'm feeling in a creative space and I have energy for it or I'm inspired. Like, for instance, I was just at the kombucha conference in L.A. last week. When I come back from meeting with people in the industry or other inspirational people and I'm inspired, I'll sit down and write out ideas and just, just let it flow. And then from there, I work backwards to tangible steps to get there. Mm. I, I read recently a really cute quote um, by Rachel Hollis, mm -hmm. and it said, a, a dream, sorry, a goal is a dream with its work boots on. A goal is a dream. I like that. It's great. Yeah, so good. And, you know, I really like to hear you say that you never did write a formal business plan and that when you get 
inspired and you're feeling creative, that's when you kind of attack maybe those to-do lists and what you need to do because I truly believe at this point, there is no one right way to build a business. We do not need to go sit through a four-day entrepreneurship course taught by someone who is from a different decade because so much of what we can do these days is you can self-teach, right? You can go to Google University, you can enroll in an online course, or you can hire someone who's done what you want to do and just have them mentor you or coach you. And so as much as I do believe it's great to start off by writing things down and planning them out, I think it's really important to honor what is going to work for you as a business owner and if that's just getting a boost of creativity and inspiration once every while and sitting down and saying, okay, now let's talk about my goals and let's think about where I wanna be in the next six months, that's a great way to do it because you probably don't thrive in sitting in an office and having a monthly reoccurring meeting with yourself going, okay, time to review my marketing objectives. No, I mean, those are good reminders and sometimes I do find those are helpful, but overall, we're all different. Everyone Mm -hmm. knows how they learn and what they're good at. So to have a cookie cutter way to start and run a business isn't going to work. It's like school, you know, you know, you have some fabulous friends who failed at everything because it just wasn't their learning style. So Mm -hmm. yeah, agreed. Yeah, I was laughing kind of today. Um, I was taking transit here and I was thinking, it's so funny, like I almost failed my grade 10 math class and science never stuck with me. But as soon as you put me in like a creative field, then right. all of a sudden I was thriving. And I always used to think, well, I'm stupid. I'm not good at school. But it's just that I didn't learn in that environment. That's right. And as soon as you put me in um, kind of that outside, thinking outside the box environment, that's when I did thrive. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I digress. Right. So, okay, for someone listening right now to this podcast who has never heard of Tonica, maybe they don't okay. um, don't have any experience with your products yet. Exactly. No. <laughs> well, they would be at this point. But can you just describe a little bit about your business sure. and your brand sure. and what types of products you have at this point? Okay, so, so Tonica Kombucha is a raw fermented tea beverage. It is very low in sugar. It's lightly carbonated. So a lot of people right now, when they think of kombucha, they'll think of a soda because most of the brands on the market are carbonated. When we all started about 10 years ago, it was much more of a health food uh, category. It wasn't as carbonated. It wasn't as sweet. And, you know, over the years we figured out especially I did with Tonica, how do I make this product accessible to everyone and still keep it authentic? So, you know, we still brew in small batches. We ferment for up to 60 days. If you go on Tonica Kombucha's Instagram or even Zoe Tonica's Instagram, you can see behind the scenes of our lab. And we're brewing in the lab the exact same way I started back in my apartment in 2006. But now we blend it and we make it very light and refreshing and put in different flavors so that you can drink it any time of the day and enjoy it, but you'll be getting all of those enzymes Mm -hmm. and benefits. So one of the reasons why kombucha got popular and people, a lot of people are drinking it now, is because when you drink a real raw kombucha, Mm -hmm. you absorb the enzymes and as you age, your body's enzymes die. So it's harder to digest food 
um, it, you know, I'm sure many people experience this. Certain types of foods, yes, but just in general, mm -hmm. having fermented foods with healthy bacteria for your gut and enzymes is really, really helpful for overall health. So, so that's sort of like what kombucha and what tonica um, is about. Mm -hmm. And how did you come up with the name Tonica? I think oh, there's yeah. a lot of aspiring and current business owners who listen to the podcast and they're always curious, like, where did you get the brand name from? Because some of them are in that stage right now where it's like, oh my gosh, I don't have a business name. How could I ever launch it? I'd love to hear the story. Was it simple? Was it something you had to think about for a long time? So it was interesting because when I first started making kombucha, I was, like I said, working at the raw food restaurant and my nickname there was the fairy. And so <laughs> why? <laughs> well, people just thought I looked like and acted like a fairy. <laughs> I rode I my bike it. everywhere. I was really into yoga. This is very flowy. And um, when I started to sell the bottles, I made a label and I called my kombucha the fairy's tonic. And after a few years, once the listing started to grow and I had just gotten into Whole Foods in Vancouver, I had several people say, you know, that name, it's probably not the most accessible for the masses and including men, like not all men will relate to that. Okay, okay. And there was a caricature of me on the front of the label. Oh, I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah. We actually, I think if you go on the Zoe Tonica Instagram, there's pictures okay. of, of our archive gallery. But anyhow, so I was also at that time thinking of rebranding the entire look of the label. So I took it to a big marketing firm and they were really sweet and they gave me a, a great discount because I was like, you know, I have virtually no money, but I know this is going to be big. I have all of these sales. We'll keep working together. Um, what, what can we do? So they put together a nice plan and they allowed me to pay them in installments over a certain period of time. It was jump branding in Toronto. And they came up with this beautiful label. Well, this one now, if you see Tonic on the shelves, it's slightly different than them because it's, it's been like, what, how many years? Like eight years. Mm -hmm. But, um, no, sorry, we launched that in 2011. So it's been eight, yeah, yeah eight years. Eight years. <laughs> like, um, what year is it? <laughs> that, oh my gosh. <laughs> Where does the time go? <laughs> so they, they rebranded it and they gave me a whole long list of names. And... I remember looking at these names and being like, what the hell? Like, none of these names are good. And I was sitting in the back of my parents' car and I was reading through the names. We were going somewhere and I had printed them out because we were still not on our phones all the time then. And it, there was like, yeah, just annoying names. Mm -hmm. Brewing, tea. It was, it was nothing that felt connected to me at all. And I felt, you know, frustrated because I had spent hours with these people sharing and I loved their design, but the name just didn't fit. And I was sitting there and I looked out the window and I just said, Tonica. Mm -hmm. And both my parents were like, that's great. And I was like, Tonica, that's it, it's Tonica. That's so funny. I feel like that is a story I've heard many, many times is that, you know, you kind of consult an outside source for names and they just don't really connect. And then it's just in this random moment that you don't know where the inspiration came from, but the name just hits you in those unexpected times. You found times. Other, other people have said the same thing? Yes, oh, and wow. that's actually my story oh. as well, is that I was listening to a Justin Bieber song yep. a few years ago while my husband and I were hiking in Peru. 
and Fun. the word visionary came up in his song and all of a sudden I was like that's it like that's the business and it all kind of evolved from there awesome. and I had been trying to think of like how to brand my business for so long before that and it was just boom random yeah so it's funny how that happens yeah and you just never know sometimes you just have to be um patient with the process, I will say. Yeah, and I think it's like many parts of the business where often we do reach out to other people and feedback is is has very much helped me sculpt the business. However, it's I like to get feedback, well at least initially, from many, many people and then sort of sit with it and let it inform me as to what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Rather than just have, you know, influences from one or two people. And I might not like the feedback, but it's still information. It's interesting. And then you can digest it and it transforms. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's kind of zoom back a little bit here. So you get into your first few accounts and you're brewing this all yourself. Did you hit a point where you started to become overwhelmed with the amount of work that needed to be done and realize hey, I might need to ask for help or I may need to uh, enlist support in growing this vision to the next level. Definitely. It was, got to the point where I was brewing so much and I was still teaching yoga classes and waitressing and I was exhausted. It was not fun, but there was like uh, this like impetus to keep going before I could make a shift and then I finally decided you know what I'm going to um, stop teaching the classes and then the next thing was I'm gonna stop teaching the yoga so obviously there was enough brewing and there was enough business that I could afford that now because I never had a business plan though I also I would say up until about five years ago lived on a very low income I was very minimalist, just naturally happy to ride my bike everywhere. I lived in downtown Toronto. My family was all around me. So, yeah, I just want to say that so that's clear. It's not like I was making tons of money and quit all my day jobs. I was making, you know, I, I was paying for my expenses. And I was like, this is amazing. I would rather sit in my kitchen and brew and listen to music and, you know, do my day than have to go out and serve other people all the time. But, um, as I was mentioning, I always spoke to people to try to get advice. And one of my good friend's brother-in-laws became a good friend as well. And he said, you know, your biggest talent is selling this. We were, we were out somewhere and I was talking to people about why, you know, what I was making and why people were buying it. And he said, your biggest talent is sharing your product and selling it. You need to hire somebody to take over the simple tasks, delegate the brewing. You can teach someone the recipe. You cannot teach someone to sell the way that you do. So you need to get out of the kitchen, get more accounts. And he was like an MBA business guy. And so that was the piece of advice that sort of stuck with me all of these years. As soon as you can, delegate. If there's anything that doesn't require your essential input, Obviously, you're going to review what your staff are doing and make sure everything is is going the way that it needs to go. But get out of the positions that anyone could do. Hire help for that. And 
I was really afraid to do that at the start. I said, well, like, there's not enough money to hire anyone. How am I going to possibly do that and pay my expenses? And he said, look, write it down. How much are you going to pay this person? How many hours would they need to work a week? And then how many accounts would pay for that if you got out there and got more accounts? So I did that and I was like, oh yeah, it's a no-brainer. And, and that's, that paved the path for you know, starting to hire staff and focusing more on sales and eventually um, the visionary of just overseeing everything and, and having space to get creative. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a huge struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs is that they hit a point in their business where they are doing all the things yes. and their time is maxed out and they hit this wall, but they're really fearful to delegate and pay people mm -hmm. to take over jobs that of course they can do them. Like, of course you could continue the brewing and I'm sure you would have still loved it, but how are you ever going to hit that next level of growth exactly. if you never brought people on to support what it is that you were ultimately trying to accomplish. So I'm sure there's a lot of work that needs to be done, even just mentally of like busting through those limiting beliefs that, oh my gosh, if I hire someone, I'm gonna make less money. It's like, no, you're gonna make more money right. because your time is gonna be better spent doing what you're good at. And in your case, that was selling. So Definitely. I think that's a huge milestone and really inspiring for people to hear. Um, I think it does have to be practical though. Like I do, get a lot of emails and calls from people asking for advice and they're saying, you know, do I need to hire this marketing consultant or this social media team? And some of the prices are just exorbitant. And I'm like, no, like, do you think you can afford that? Are you even paying yourself that? Like, be practical about it. Start small. Like, you can get certain people to do jobs and they don't need to be MBA graduates. There are a lot of people looking to work out there for good employers and they want to work hard. There are also a lot of people who don't want to work hard, who are very entitled and think that, you know, oh, you have your own business, you should be able to pay me this. And you need to be intuitive about, about number one, hiring. That's a big deal. You know, if someone's sitting in front of you and you're feeling great about them and they don't have the credentials, but it feels like a good fit and you see that they, you, well, you try them out, do a three-month trial, and that they can take on tasks, great, hire them. Who cares if they've gone to school for it? Mm -hmm. I didn't go to school for it. You know, somebody has drive and you personally connect well. It doesn't matter how many people refer them. Maybe your best friend loved them, but if you mm -hmm. don't connect well with them and you don't want to see their face every day at work and it just doesn't flow, mm -hmm. don't do it. Absolutely, and I think that's inspiring even for people listening who are freelancers or wanting to be freelancers, never be afraid to pitch yourself to a brand or a product that you want to work for because I'm the same way. I, I don't care what your background is if I'm going to ask you to help me or if I'm going to hire you to do a certain task. I just want you to be resourceful and passionate and keen to learn exactly. and that's way more important than your resume and yeah. your educational history. So, okay, so you hired someone to help you with brewing. What came after that? Did you bring on more people? And yes. then walk us through to what your team looks like today. Okay, so after the first brewer, there was another brewer, 
and there was a delivery service that would take the cases everywhere because as a Torontonian, I rode my bike everywhere. I didn't have a car. At the beginning, I have one of my best girlfriends who just came with me to LA, she would drive me to the bottle warehouse to pick up all the bottles and bring them back to my house. Um, but I still needed someone to deliver the product. And so basically the, the delivery service and the brew team grew. And then I brought on a staff to start doing the packaging as well. So um, I didn't have to fill the bottles anymore. I could get someone else. Now because it started so small and organically, that the initial brewer would also start to fill the bottles and then I would do the labels and then eventually, you know, hired someone else. Then it got into resourcefulness about what we could use beyond humans. So machinery, or I guess it was more of equipment mm -hmm. because it wasn't automated up until very recently actually. So I would look for equipment that we could use to fill the bottles label the bottles that didn't have to be people with their hands yeah. making little mistakes <laughs> and having to redo it and um, having to brew more and not having time to do everything else. So that was kind of a, a it's an ongoing thing and I'm sure it is with all production mm -hmm. where you have to find something that meets your needs. Most of the things on the market are built for like really, really big operations or like home projects. So the in-between was tricky, but um, that's something I like. Problem solving, being creative, and just networking until I can find something that leads to the right piece of labeling equipment. Um, today we, so now we're in a, a, a factory, it's 11,000 square feet. Wow. So it's nice and big. I designed the whole thing. I think it's beautiful. You should definitely come by. 100% I will. <laughs> we have some videos on our um, story on Tonica Kombucha of it. And we have a fully automated bottling line. So it's awesome. It can do a thousand cases of 12 a day. And it takes the bottles, it labels them, it feeds them into a filler, the filler puts them under a capper, the capper conveyors it over to a sealing, a heat seal machine where we put on the safety seals and then they're packed and, and put into our, our coolers. So that is incredible. Yeah, and yes, it's I definitely would encourage people to go check out <laughs> your your stories for that and to get the inside scoop. So in terms of selling, you said now you have distributors <laughs> who actually distribute Tonica and sell in on your behalf. So for someone who is kind of in a stage of wanting to launch a product-based business, or maybe they already have, um, and they're looking to take it to that next level, how is it working with distributors? And what is the process like for getting um, in with one that's yeah. going to help you to elevate the amount of sales and accounts that you're able to land? So for the initial stages of working with a distributor, um, I was lucky in that they came to me because mm -hmm. kombucha was a very unique thing still and I was one of the only people brewing it. Yeah. Um, so it had been a couple of years in, I think they came to me in 2010, something like that. and. So that was great and one thing I did and I recommend everyone do this is that I kept all the relationships I had with the retailers that I had. So I considered the distributors basically a glorified delivery service. Distributors will often tell you they have tons of reps and you know you don't need a sales team they can go out and sell it for you. In my experience 
That might happen at a very um, individual store level, but in terms of growing mass accounts and with the chain stores, that's really, again, about relationships and connections. And so when you come in as a small brand, reps working for distributors are not going to be putting the short time that they have in front of a buyer um, spotlighting your small brand. They're going to go for the huge sellers and make sure that they're selling in and moving tons so the buyer's happy. Um, over the years, I found that's changed now that we're in, you know, Shoppers Drug Mart and Metro and Loblaws and Whole Foods. We do get more attention from our distributors, but I also think the distributors, uh, their whole MO has changed over the years and they really do, at least the ones I work with, and again, maybe it's just because we're bigger now, but they seem to care a lot more about helping the brands grow. It's also a really cool trans transition because natural foods are really hot right now and it's not a trend. Like It's just that people understand what you put into your body is going to affect the way you live your life, the way you feel emotionally and your stamina and energy. So the natural foods market has grown and those of us who have who started brands sort of at the beginning, I mean my mom was part of the real beginning, but those who've been in the game for a while, mm -hmm. we sort of have earned the respect of distributors and retailers because the brands, we've lasted. So it means number one, the product's good. Number two, our, our business acumen, the way that we run our business works well. So you, you know, obviously it's great to work with people who you know are gonna follow through and be consistent. Mm -hmm. And are you still involved in the sales process at all? Oh, selling yeah. in, Definitely. like you said, your strength was in uh, the selling of kombucha, yes. not necessarily in continuing to just brew it or to just market it. So what is your role today? So I'm basically the sales director and so we have a sales rep who's checking stores and getting information. But for the most part, I try to work now with the reps for the bigger retailers to just continue those relationships, you know, with the buyers for Shoppers Drug Mart or Metro. And that's something that I don't know if that's going to change because these things used to be very phone based. Mm -hmm. could call up. I mean, I still have one of the buyers who will text each other all the time if he has questions and sort of more old school. Where now with new buyers, younger buyers coming in and everything on email, I think it is definitely harder to get that personal relationship. Um, so that's something that I try to do for, for many reasons. You know, number one, to ensure that Tonica has uh, a spot in that buyer's heart, you know, when they're looking at how they want to place things on the shelf and if they want to do specials or promotions. Number two, because these people are paying all of my staff and my own like lifestyles. So I am grateful and I want to make sure I know them and we can work together. So when there are issues and there are going to be issues, things come up, you know, packaging goes through ups and downs and maybe there's product that comes out not tasting right. Whatever the thing is, I want to be able to have a direct contact to sort it out. You know, it's life. It's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But if we were to always use a distributor rep, um, you know, or, or, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's something where I really feel like the owner of the company who 
like sales like me. Not everyone is going to be into it. But if that's sort of your gift, you definitely 100% should be in every big meeting and always present and connected. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree. I think like the personalized connection of knowing you and just knowing your story, it's going to do so much more for your business and your brand than trying to outsource everything mm -hmm. and step back and no, you can't. not be present in your own business. I, I think that's sort of a dream and a maybe delusion that a lot of people have about becoming their 100%. own boss and be entrepreneur. on a beach in Costa Rica, yeah. which it's maybe like, is your dream. You, but. Well, you can do that, right? But you have to have everything set up, right? And the minute you stop holding the reins, who are you handing them to? Like, yes, we have fabulous staff, but at the end of the day, this isn't their baby, their business. If it was, they would probably be doing their own business. So true. They're, they're great at following, like, oh, I have such an incredible team, and they are really, really good at following the lead. And I've gotten better at being a leader and, you know, sharing what I want to see from them instead of just sort of hoping and being disappointed, being very clear. But yeah, if you're not doing it, who's going to do it? Mm -hmm. And back in 2013, we had just been on the Dragon's Den. And I had picked out a factory to move to because we were getting too small in our current one. And unfortunately, I didn't do my homework. You know, there's been a ton of learning. I failed so many times. Mm -hmm. Big mistakes. This was a huge mistake. It was, it was a big, big space in the stockyards. It was a building that had been vacant for a few years and landlords had taken it over, renovated it, and I found it. They seemed really nice. They said it was all like cleaned out and certified for food and everything. Um, moved in, found out they were complete liars. We couldn't even get a postal code or a phone because they hadn't paid any of the bills. There was lead in the pipes, which unfortunately I discovered the first week we moved in because we went to do our whole brew and that lead destroyed every single one of my cultures. And that was it. I didn't know what was happening. It took a while to figure out it was lead. We of course did tons of tests. I had to let go of all my staff. At that time I had four staff. And for the next eight months, I tried to get out of that lease, which was like very hard. These guys were animals, like just the worst story of landlords that in Toronto, like corporate landlords. And um, while I was trying to get out of that lease, I was working in my mom's office with my little <laughs> lab trying to remake my cultures. But I had already been building it up then, so it was just after, it was 2013, so I'd been building it up for like seven years. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot harder than I thought. It turned out the first culture I had was a great one. And because of the slow growth of it, it had strengthened and strengthened. And now suddenly I was trying to use the <laughs> small and various remnants of that and, and you know going around to stores, buying back my own kombucha to remake it, but it took about eight months. Wow. So, and I think, yeah, it just goes to show that no entrepreneurial journey is without hardships. Oh, and no. these are the stories that I think we all need to hear over and over to know that where you are today did not come without challenges. That's and it. many of them, and they're all learning experiences. And if you're not willing to persevere through these challenges, maybe don't get into business for yourself That's because... 
A very good point, Kelsey, because the thing is, you know, it's not that entrepreneurs are special or different. It's that, number one, they generally have a passion for whatever they're making, and number two, they're dedicated to following that through. So when that whole thing started happening, I was like, my, I was probably the darkest time I've ever experienced in my life. Oh, besides getting divorced. But <laughs> um, it was like, I was like, what am I gonna do? I, I'm either going to let this thing just happen, and what, am I gonna go back to waitressing and teaching yoga? And I had, you know, just been on Dragon's Den. There was so much demand. There was like huge purchase orders coming in for our product. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try. If I fail and I can't do this, at least I'll know I tried. I can't just drop this and walk away from it and always think, what if I could have saved the business and had a completely different life? So I tried. It was so hard. Those eight months were so crazy. And... Because going back to the initial question, because of my personal relationships that I had developed, you know, personal business relationships with the retailers, they brought me back when I had brought myself back on the market eight months later. And typically that doesn't happen, especially the refrigerated section in grocery stores, very competitive because that's a cooler. So that's plugged in. So that's electricity that whoever owns that store or corporation is paying for. So when you're out of stock on a product, and this happens throughout most products, the buyers are generally like, okay, done. You know, we gave you this listing, we gave you this space. Our customers expect to get it. You're not providing us with the product, you're gone. Next. Mm-hmm. Now, eight months, unheard of. So I remember just before we got back on the market, the buyer of Whole Foods was calling. And he was calling about once every two to three weeks. And he said, Zoe, I can't wait anymore. There's so many kombuchas now. They're all coming up from the States. Um, Please give me a deadline. And I was like, okay, I've got it. Give me two more weeks. And so because of his, you know, relationship with me and knowing who I was and how hard I had worked for all this and how hard I was working. I was I was transparent. I told everyone. I don't think at that time I had told them there was lead in the pipes because that's like a scary thing nobody wants to hear, but just said massive issues with construction at our new factory. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, yeah, a lot of struggle. But, you know, persevering through and or even when you start a business, I know it seems so daunting and you look at other people or you look at me it's like I'm in the middle of my story right now the beginning was totally different don't compare yourself just know that if you have a passion for something and you want to do it start make a little plan it doesn't have to be a huge business plan decide what you want work backwards make a couple of steps start go for it and there's no other way you're going to fail it's not just going to be like a cakewalk it's like instagram it's Mm -hmm. like these pictures are gorgeous do you know how many pictures of the factory or product or myself come out and you're like not a chance am i putting that up in public people only present the best parts Mm -hmm. yeah and i i just love that philosophy too it's you're going to fail and then you're going to pivot and you're going to have something better and you just have to know that that's all leading you towards mm-hmm. the next stage of your journey and and that failing just to say it it really gave me perspective about how important my team was because up until then i felt kind of like i was doing it still i was still like an independent entrepreneur i had some staff brewing but 
um, when everything went down and there was like not a lot of support, right? Because I realized, oh, these, you know, they're, they're not part of the team. When I came back and I, I only hired based on intuition and people weren't working out, I let them go. And I, I just think that that was one thing that grew, not only about my team with staff, but with distributors and retailers, that we actually are all working together, like we form this community. And so even though there was, I felt no support internally, uh, externally, there's a lot of support from the retailers. And I was like, this is what I want internally at Tonica. And so, so I built that. I, I didn't just hire based on you know who was available. And I've, if somebody didn't feel right, I got rid of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, follow your intuition. Yeah. So obviously, there's been some challenges and <laughs> some hardships in growing Tonica. I'm wondering, on the other end of the spectrum, is there a major milestone or something that you're extremely proud of and excited about that you have accomplished in the last 10, 15 yes. years? Yeah. Sure. Uh, Dragon's Den, I think, was huge. So exciting. Yeah, it was Tell so us much about fun. That. So it was in 2012, and at that time it was Kevin O'Leary, Jim Treleving, Arlene Dickinson, and Bruce, and uh, the Wealthy Barber. Those were my, that was my favorite season. I think that was like the golden season. <laughs> it, like, was. it was. So much fun. 100%. And uh, so, yeah, I. People always said, you know, you should go on on Dragon's Den. And I was like, why? Like, I'm okay. And they're like, go. Like, you can, you know, share what kombucha is with the entire country. So I thought, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. And I interviewed a lot of people that I knew from um, people in the financial industry, in the entertainment industry, old acting friends from acting school. And I combined all of it to put this pitch together, which I figured, you know, they might not go for it, but at least it'll be a great commercial for Canada to see what kombucha is. Because I realized, no, not everyone knows what kombucha is just because I have like, you know, 50 stores. So, um, so yeah, so put together the pitch, went on. And I don't know if they do it differently now, but at that time they make you sign a defamation clause. So if you completely like just fail on screen, they can show that. Like they can use any part of that mm-hmm. that they want. Yep. And they didn't do any cuts or edits or it was just like you're going on, you're going to do your pitch and then you walk off here. So I brought two of my friends who are yogis, actually Eva Redpath and... Um, Michael Decourt, Shock Yoga. And we were walking on and I was so nervous and I remember Eva just turned around and she said, just breathe. And I was like, okay, thank you. And as soon as we walked down the steps and I was in front of them, I think because I like acting too, it suddenly was just like, oh, hello. <laughs> Turn it on. Yeah. So that went really well and halfway through I completely blanked. I think it was Bruce who act, asked me about what... Um, my sales had been in the last year or what they were going to be. And for me, being so hands-on, it was always about cases. I had, of course, put all of these numbers together, but this was not something that I memorized, and it was not my strong point. 
and my head went blank inside. I literally was like, and if you watch it, you see I'm like, oh, I can't remember. Yeah. And luckily, one of the other dragons, I think it was Jim, jumped in. And he was like, all right, well, Zoe, I'm going to make you an offer. And I was like, oh, my God. And wow. they, they totally turned it around. And then Jim made the offer. Then Kevin made an offer. Then Arlene made an offer. And it was for what I had asked for. And I was, like, blown away. It was so incredible. So that was a milestone. Now, after the fact, I actually worked with Kevin's people quite a bit. And they taught me a ton about setting up Excel spreadsheets and how to just log numbers and really easy systems. Um, but at the end of the day, he ended up changing the deal. He wanted a royalty. I'd gone with Kevin and Jim. Arlene wanted to go alone, but I wanted to go with two of them. And when Kevin changed the deal and said, okay, I want a royalty, I said, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. I had also in that, those four months discovered, you know, when problems came up, they would come back with solutions that I already had. You know, I'd be looking for another bottle supplier and they would come back with names that I had called like a month before. So mm -hmm. that, you know what, really what I wanted at that time was support, not necessarily money because, again, I, I had always just gone on minimal income and anything we made from the business went right back into the business. Mm -hmm. And I had a small bank loan, which helped quite a bit. So anyway, that was a huge milestone. A couple of years later, they did a follow-up success episode in 2016 where they came to our factory. Um, that was fun, but it didn't have anywhere near as the impact as the first one. Mm -hmm. And then I would say the next milestone was a couple of years ago um, when I met the buyer for Shoppers Drug Mart. I was at a trade show. It's the Canadian Health Food Association show. Big show twice a year in Vancouver and Toronto, once in each place. And it was the end of the day when generally buyers don't come through. I was tired, but I, you know, I always, I'm, I do my best at the shows to really be present with whoever is coming. And this man and woman came by and she was like, oh, this is the kombucha I was telling you about. And I couldn't see his tag. He had, usually the buyers wear tags so you can read where they're from, but he had it turned backwards, which a lot of the big ones do. But I figured it's the end of the day. I, it's probably just an accident that he had it turned backwards. So we were talking and I told him all about the health benefits and he tried it and he's like, oh wow, yeah, this is great, this is really good. And she was like, this is the one that my naturopath recommends, it's really low in sugar. And um, he said, okay, I'd like to bring this in. I said, great, what, what store are you with? He said, Shoppers Drug Mart. I said, oh, okay, like one Shoppers Drug Mart location? He's like, no, no, I'm the buyer for the national shoppers. <laughs> and why don't we start with 400 stores? If that goes well, we'll expand it. Within a month, we shipped them the 400, like the product for the 400 stores, and within two months, he upped it to 800 stores. That is and that, wild. That just changed the entire trajectory of where we were at and enabled us to grow into this new factory that I designed and get the new bottling line. And um, we just got, uh, you know, we, we continue to expand with many great retailers. Metro was similar, you know, it's not national, but a great account. Um, Farm Boy has been fantastic. And um, yeah, actually, that's one I wonder, I don't think it's a secret because they're not secretive about it, but we do private label for Farm Boy. Mm. So if you go into Farm Boy and you see Farm Boy Kombucha, that's us. That has also been monumental. So now it's just like we continue to work with our, our partners, support them, and I just find like it just continues to expand. We just got the email last Friday that Shoppers is now putting in our new two super tonics, our goji grapefruit and turmeric lime, 
And um, that doesn't always happen. You know, you can have a great account and you can just kind of simmer down, sales drop, and the store will get rid of you and bring someone else in. So mm -hmm. it's really important to take those milestones and those great things and then support them. We, we support with demos, sampling, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of social media, try to do contests and send people to the stores. And, and the bottom line is make a great product that people love. Mm -hmm. And I love that story about you being at the trade show and meeting the, yeah. the one buyer because yeah. it always just goes to show the power of one. You never know who you're talking to, who's going to be helping you down the line, who's going to circle back into your life. So be a good person and, and make an impact on everybody's life who you meet because that karma will always come back. And in your case, you know, having that positive attitude, talking to someone at the end of the day who you didn't even know who they were. If you would have just been a total, like, I don't know, <laughs> I won't say the word, but totally B, then that person, they may have walked away and just said, you know, it's not for me. But I think it's so important to, as a business owner, touch people's lives in any sort of way that you can. And especially when you have those in-person opportunities, try and make an impact because that's one of the most important ways that you can spend your time. It is, and people wanna work with people that they like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you don't like people, hire somebody else who likes people who's good at sales. Mm -hmm. But if you are in that position, that's, that's why you're gonna work with people. Good advice. So we're going to start to wrap this up. So I'm going to ask you a few business rapid fire questions. Okay. So number one, is there a tool or an object or a ritual that you feel you could not live without in running your business? Ooh. That is a very good question. I'm not rapidly answering it. That's okay. Um, Sometimes you need to pause and think. It could be an app, a book, a routine that you do, a notepad. I think, I think there's this method, the Sedona method, which has been very helpful. In, it separates you from the emotion of a situation and allows you to come back with a clearer mind. Meditation also helps support that. So both the meditation practice and the Sedona method to get clarity and not feel emotionally connected to the decisions that I make. Mm, interesting. Who is a business person or a business that you look up to? Oh gosh, the owner of Organic Garage, hands down, Matt Lurie, is such a force. This guy started with nothing, opened up one subway, used that to buy Organic Garage from his family and now has made it public. He is such a smart guy and is so generous with his time and always helps advise me on you know certain business decisions that I have absolutely no clue about. And you sell Tonica there, right? We do. He's I've a purchased huge it there. I mean, that's how we met through him being a customer, and then through the trade show. Sometimes we get to talking, and I was like, "Holy shit, this guy is so smart! Like, he's like a bit of a genius." Hmm. So um, yeah, he he's fantastic. I have another mentor as well who is the national VP of Lasand, a huge beverage company. And both of them just, you know, from the VP's experience to Matt's, like, just practical information about running your own business, mm -hmm. phenomenal. If you had only one hour per week to market your business, what would you do? Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. <laughs> 
I'm going to keep this on air. So <laughs> if you had to spend, like you have one hour a week to gain exposure of Tonica, are you going to spend that doing social media? Are you going to spend that one hour getting to a trade show? Okay. Are you going to spend that one hour um, getting out on the street and sampling people? Anything in the realm of marketing and yeah, okay. sharing your product. I think all of those things. I think let's do 15 minutes for each. Oh, thing. <laughs> okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing because, sticks out as the well, most impactful form of not marketing. Not really. Like, I mean, social media is great, but actually, you know, we don't sell online. So it's really helpful for the presence of our brand. So people recognize us when they go into a store. But when they go into a store, if we're sampling, I would actually say, okay, 15 minutes for social, 30 minutes for sampling, because you're connecting directly with customers who shop in that store. If they try your product and love it, they're a repeat customer. You disappear, but they'll always remember that interaction with you and where they can find this store. Um, love that, yeah. Trade shows are great because they expand your horizons and allow you to connect with bigger buyers and accounts that you might not have. And that's it, that's the hour. Mm, I think that's such a good answer. Okay. And final rapid fire question here. What is your favorite way to wind down after a long work week? Oh. Well, generally on Fridays, I always go to my family's for dinner. That's, that's a nice way to just unwind. But um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I like to take a walk, leave my phone at home, just be out in the air, breathe, um, I like to see friends, mm -hmm. go for a drink. I love, I have the best Pilates teacher ever. He's so much fun. So I love going to a class. Actually, maybe that's it. If I can re-answer yeah. from the beginning. I find it great to do something physical to cut all the mental energy. So I love this Pilates teacher. I have a yoga studio in my house, so I'll practice, but it's nice to get out of your own self. So sometimes I will go to a yoga class at Downward Dog where I started, um, or go to a dance class, or go dancing, which was even better to live music. But you know, at the end of a week, to go to a class is simple, and then you've shifted your energy and just can be open for the weekend. Mm -hmm. I like what you said too about some, doing something physical makes you kind of forget about the mental. I feel like for me it's so important is just to yeah get in my body and I don't worry about my business. I don't worry about everything I'm stressed out about when I'm being physical. Yeah, so that's and great. it puts it in perspective. You're like, oh wait, I'm just a human. I'm breathing and now this is me. I'm not this thing. I'm not this entrepreneur. That's something I do. But I'm this expansive being living here for a limited time only. What's in mm. front of me for the rest of my night. That's such a great way to put it. Well, I could definitely talk to you all day long, <laughs> but I know we do have a time limit here. So I would just love to say, first of all, thank you so much for being oh, on the podcast. So I know that so many people are going to listen to this and be inspired by your journey. But where can people learn more about Tonica? Where's the best place for them to find you online and in stores? So you can check out our store locator on our website tonicakombucha.com. Also, our Instagram has links to the website, so we've got our Tonica Kombucha page, and then more of my personal connected page, Zoe Tonica, on Instagram, where we do a lot of behind the scenes and talk to the staff or show my travels when I go down to conventions or travel. And um, on shelves, you can find us throughout Canada at Shoppers Drug Mart, throughout Canada at Whole Foods, 
in Ontario at Metro, Loblaws, and a lot of the great retailers that built us like Organic Garage, Healthy Planet, Goodness Me, Ambrosia, Nature's Emporium. And we're growing out in the West this year, so hopefully soon you'll find us some more. We're an urban fair out West as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Zoe. Thank you, Kelsey. Thanks for listening to this episode of Visionary Life. Did you learn something new or are you inspired to take action on a new project? If so, please get in touch with me on Instagram at Kelsey Rydell or in our secret Facebook community. Just search Visionary Life by Kelsey Rydell on Facebook. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It helps us share the stories of visionary entrepreneurs with more and more people. If you're interested in working with me, just head to KelseyRidal.com. And if you've been thinking about joining my 90-day business coaching program, please reach out and book a free 15-minute call, and I'd love to chat with you.